Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. First thing I want to want to share with you before we dive into orphan care is amidst all of this, I was just worshiping this morning and what the Holy Spirit was telling me is let's just have a reminder that the Jesus that we serve is not a little lucky rabbit's foot. He's not a pocket Jesus that we can put in and who's smaller than our circumstances and that we think we're hurting and we can then just pull him out and wish something away. He is in fact the risen Lord, the one who has overcome all death, the one who guarantees that there will be no more tears one day, the one who guarantees that there will be no more racial divide one day, the one who guarantees that all of the pain, there are going to be no more cancer, no more sickness. He's not a pocket Jesus. He is great, and he is huge, and he is sovereign, and he is good in the midst of this. And so let's come to this with a bold context that we have been adopted by the blood of Christ. We have been adopted by a good, good father. And the relevance of that is not just eternal. It's what about the meantime? What about now? How can we take this boldness and have eyes to see as occur- just from the Holy Spirit so that we can be about what he wants us to be about in this desperate hour. I think this message might be a little bit of a surprise. I would, you know, I saw the the topic of the orphan care crisis, and I figured, you know what, they'd probably be looking for a lot of statistics, a lot of emotional stories, um, and I have not, I do not have it from the Spirit of God to come here and pluck your heartstrings in that way. My prayer has been that the Holy Spirit would speak, that I wouldn't, that there wouldn't, this would not be a time where I speak to intellect or I speak to the emotion, but that the Lord would actually speak to your souls. And if there's something in what I'm about to say that hits your soul, that you would actually respond with the courage that you know where you're going and you know that even if you must suffer and hurt, in order to bring reconciliation in this brokenness, that if God gives you some specific direction, he will move you in courage. And so I'm here to bring you a message about orphan care. And I'm here to bring you a message about spiritual revival and reconciliation. And I am here to tell you that those two things are one and the same. In our nation right now and in our world right now, there are cries for justice. That's what we hear. We hear cries for social justice. We hear cries for justice in race. And we hear cries for justice in economics. And we hear cries for justice in politics. We hear cries for justice all around the world, and I understand them. My life is in them. But I'm here to share with you right out of the blocks that I believe that we're setting the target too low. We should be aiming for more than justice. We should be aiming for reconciliation. And that is a supernatural objective. God's ways are not our ways, and his mind is not our mind. And if I were to stand up and tell you today that God has revealed to me that there is a messenger, not 
just a spiritual messenger, but there is a messenger here on earth that if you would go run to that messenger, if you would run to that messenger, no matter what it would cost you, that God would actually use you as a supernatural tool for divine reconciliation. My question is this, if I pose that question, if your spirit said he is speaking truth, would you run to that messenger? If we want to experience spiritual revival, there are three things that are going to be required. And I'm not talking now about a Billy Graham crusade. Nothing wrong with those, but when I say spiritual revival, I'm not talking about a bunch of, you know, a stadium full of people raising their hands. When I'm speaking of spiritual revival in this desperate hour of our world, I am talking about purification. I am talking about unification and reconciliation. I'm talking about a, a f- getting our flesh in one another's mess. That we may be purified and that the bride may be ready for the return of the king. I'm talking about that kind of revival, a deep one. If that kind of revival, a supernatural revival, is if we're to experience it because it's happening right now, there are going to be three things that are going to be asked of me and of you. Number one is location. If you want to see and experience revival, then you must go where Jesus is working. Number two is sight. We have to have spiritual eyes to see his anointed. Number three is action. We can have one and two and remain passive and blocked by fear because we're afraid to go out and grab it. One in two will not allow us to experience a spiritual revival that can bring the type of reconciliation that makes the division that we see look like child's play. But it will require action that comes at a high price. I want to talk to you about location. If you want to experience spiritual revival, then you must go to a low place. Now, I'm reminded in the word, when I speak of, when I, this type of revival reminds me of the woman in the dirty streets of Capernaum. Stories told in Mark chapter 5, verses 24 through 34. It's not the chapter that one, you think, gosh, if somebody's going to talk about orphan care, for sure it's going to be about James 1.27. For sure it's going to be just about the physical act of orphan care and feeding the orphans and gleaning. No, 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 no. Orphan care is not about orphan care. There's something deeper going on, and God kind of reminds me of this woman in the dirty streets. You know the story. You've heard it says that Jesus had performed all of these miracles. Supernatural stuff is happening all around. And the word has gotten out. People have heard about this miracle maker. They're curious and they're going. And the people that tend to be going to him are people that have felt desperation. They're going to get around this guy because of what's going on. And he ends up in Capernaum. And he's actually on the way. He's going to go heal uh, this guy Jairus' daughter. But as he's walking down this filthy street, a crowd is around him. And it says there was this woman 
And this woman shows up. She's been bleeding for 12 years. She's tried everything she can think of. She's tried everything physically she can to take care of this problem that she's experiencing. She's gone to all these doctors, but she's still bleeding. She's left without any recourse whatsoever. She has no hope. She doesn't know what to do, but she hears about the, she hears about the miracle maker. And she goes on those dirty streets, and the Bible says that she goes up, and she's walking, and she's thinking, if I can just touch the hem of this man's garment, I'm going to be healed. So that's her solution. It's not another doctor. It's not, I'm going to go to a politician to go fix it. She's convicted and believes, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, it's done. And of course, we know the story. That's exactly what she does. And on that filthy street, she touches the hem of his garment, and it's done. And Jesus says, what happened? Who touched me? And the disciples are saying, what do you mean, who touched you? I mean, there are all of these people around, crowding around you, jostling you. A lot of people were touching you. He said, no, power left me. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt Jesus inside of you, the spirit inside of you, where you know you were so locked in to what he wanted you in that moment that the interaction with another human being, no matter what it was, no matter how dirty the interaction, no matter who the person was, you knew you were right there and power actually, you felt power leave you? Well, that's what he felt. He said, power left me. And of course, she comes forward and she said, I just wanted to touch the hem of your garment. I believed I would be healed. And of course, Jesus said to her, my daughter, your faith has healed you. That's what's going on in the dirty streets of Capernaum in a low place. I have it in my mind that a couple of blocks over, there were some men. And they're sitting on the front porch. They're stooping. And they're sitting around and they're talking. They're talking to each other. And they're wondering, man, this is, everything's going wrong. There's, there's our governments messed up. We are like slaves here. Everything we earn, we get taxed. It's like we can't get up. Everything is busted. I see no way out. And I'll bet you they're sitting there saying, God, where are you? Where are you? They're looking at the top of the world, at government. They're looking in high places, wondering, where are you? Where, while they were pleading that, I just imagine that, that just two blocks over, the greatest spiritual revival known to man was happening, but it was happening in a humble and low place among people who are hurting and desperate and unclean. And so when we want to experience revival, we aren't going to find it in the 2016 election. We are not going to find it in Washington, D.C. We are not going to find it on Fox News, and we're not going to find it on CNN. If you want to experience revival, then you must get real low with your flesh. You can't just peek down. You can't just talk about it. You can't do theology about it. You have to go get down where the hem is on the dirt and see the woman who had been brandished unclean for who she is in compassion. And if you want to experience revival, you have to have sight, spiritual sight to see the Lord's anointed. You know, I think of John the Baptist, and I just imagine in my mind that as he is in the Jordan River baptizing people, there was a moment 
when Jesus came up over the hill and I could see him turning and saying, there he is, there he is. That's the Lord's anointed. I'm here to send a message right now to you to say, there he is. But it's not who you think. Jesus has anointed someone special to bring this work of reconciliation and we're to run to that someone. And I'm here to tell you that that someone is the orphan. God has taken what we in our sin, personally and collectively, the children we have cut out, he has set apart and anointed to bring spiritual revival to the church. We believe that the church is being sent to go rescue the children like children are causes. Children are not causes, they're catalysts. I don't believe that we're being sent to the orphan. I believe the orphan is a spiritual missionary who's being sent to the church to come get us and to be like heart defibrillators and to zap us into a spiritual life in Christ that we would actually throw off this false message of Jesus that if you follow the little pocket Jesus and you just do the right things and you block and tackle the right way and if you're in enough Bible studies and if you give enough and you do enough good things that somehow that path of Jesus in our lives will make us more and more stable and more and more secure because it's a way up. That's a lie. The path of Jesus that the bride of Christ is being called to follow is a path that goes down. It goes down, down to the place where people really, really hurt, not up to the place of condescension, where we, can, where we think, all right, I'm going to have judgment on people who go low. But the path of Christ is low, and the path to the orphan is low. And I often wondered, what does a revival look like? What does it look like? How would you know it when it's happening, this kind of revival? I just want to show you what it looks like. Because it's happening all over the world right now, even though nobody's talking about it. It's happening in this church. If you were adopted as a child, would you stand up? If you have adopted someone, would you stand up? If you've fostered, if you've fostered a child, would you stand up? If you have supported an adoptive or a foster family to help them do what they've been called to do, would you stand up? If you have given money from your work to help orphaned and vulnerable children, would you stand up? If you have gone on a trip, whether, I'm not just talking about Haiti, it could be right here in Dallas. If you have left your home to go physically touch and look a child in the eye to express it's okay, would you stand up? If you have given your time or your money to, say, a single mother or a hurting family to do what you can to make sure she doesn't lose her children, would you stand up? If you want to know what it looked like in that crowd, 
If you want to know what, it look, what, a, what a movement of God, that is a purification movement, looks like, if you want to know what the orphan awakening looks like, look around. Just stop. Look. I'm here to tell you that I've been in the orphan window serving for years, and 10 years ago, I could ask this question, these questions in a church, and, I'm, and, and a fraction of the church members would stand up. There is a gathering storm that's quietly happening, and it's you. You can have a seat. Thank you. Why, why the orphan? Why, why would God anoint the orphan to bring spiritual revival in Jesus Christ to us? And what's this got to do with what's happened this week in Dallas? Has anybody heard of Dr. Jonas Salk? In the 1950s, there was a, the polio virus was coursing through the United States. It was devastating in this country. And there was a mad dash underway for people, for, for scientists to figure out an antivirus to stop it. And this doctor, Jonas Salk, he's the one who came up with the antivirus. And he discovered something interesting about a virus. The only way to stop a virus is with the virus. So the way he stopped polo is he took a weakened part of the polio virus and he injected it and it created an antivirus and an immunity. The only way to stop a virus is with a weakened part of the virus injected back into the body. Interestingly, Jonas Salk, before he went to the public to start injecting people with polio, the first people he injected himself was, was himself and his wife and children. You see, right now, there's a spiritual virus that's devastating our world. Fatherlessness. If you want to know the number one issue that is devastating this community, this nation, and this world, it is not politics. It is not gay marriage. It is the breakdown of the family. It's fatherlessness. That's my life. I live in it. Let me tell you a like, little, little more about that. If you break down all of civilization, the way that God created it, all the world, and, and you looked at it like it's a body, and you wanted to look down to the most essential cell of the body, the essential cell of all of civilization is the family. It's the family. And there is a spiritual virus that is making that, that cell re really weak, and it's making the body weak. And so you'll have, in many areas, 70% plus of children who are being born are being born outside of family. That's not just a U.S. thing. It's happening all over the world. And I'm just here to say, guys, as a rule, men are falling down in our roles as spiritual leaders in our families. And there's a consequence, and it is now spun out of control. So why the orphan? God is doing 
spiritually that which Dr. Jonas Salk did physically. He is taking a byproduct of the spiritual virus of fatherlessness, which is the child. The child who didn't ask for it. The child who didn't want to be born into that. That child, God has taken that child and injecting him back into a sick body. We are a sick body in this world right now. In fact, even in Christendom, we are a sick body. And God is injecting the antivirus back in. And you know, this, I said the third element is really, is, is action. Before we get to that, this is not unbiblical to think that the orphan would be God's anointed to bring about a spiritual revival that would lead to a reconciliation that none of us and no politician and no pastor and no theologian could possibly concoct in our intellect. This is what God's been doing the whole time. Think about this. God's people, the Israelites, are in slavery in Egypt. They're in bondage and they're crying out and they are completely oppressed. This is a slave nation. And God decides it's time for a spiritual revival. It is time that I'm going to lift up my devastated, sick, enslaved, hurting people who are losing all hope and all faith. It's time that I work a miracle and I get them out of here and I'm going to go take them all the way to the promised land. Now, how am I going to do that? I'm God. I can do it any way I want and through whom I want. Who did he pick? He picked an orphan of a slave mother who in her desperation put her baby in a wicker basket in the river. A discarded slave baby was the Lord's anointed. We read all kinds of Christian literature about Moses' great leadership skills and all the things he did. We even read about his flaws we study him and we think about this great leader, but let's never forget that this great leader of God, the one that God decided how he was going to flex his muscles to show that indeed he's bigger than our circumstances, was an orphan in the river. You see, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through 31. We live in a world that says everything great and everything that's wonderful is top down and outside in. And so in this age of 24-7 media, we get drunk on all of this analysis on who's going to fix what and how they're going to do it. And if we just change this policy on high, then down low among the huddled masses, everything's going to be fixed. Let us remind ourselves that that's not the way of the Lord Almighty. He does it the exact opposite. Every spiritual movement of God happens from the bottom up and from the inside out. Everyone. He does it so that none of us could stand up and take credit when he does a supernatural work to draw us to him. And so when we look at this idea of the orphan as the Lord's anointed, 
1 Corinthians chapter 1 says, I will confound the wisdom of the wise. It says, I choose the lowly things, the despised things, the things that are not to nullify the things that are. God is choosing the orphan as a spiritual missionary to jolt us out of our comfort, to jolt us out of our fear, to jolt us out of spiritual complacency, to jolt us out of spiritual intellectualism, to jolt us out of theological paralysis. He is using the orphan when we get low like the woman on the dirty streets and when we get the child the dirty, discarded child in the river into our arms, stuff happens. Just stuff happens. The third thing that's required is action. You know, this isn't a far-off thing. This isn't a Haiti issue. The orphan is not just in Haiti. The orphan is not just in India. The orphan is not just in Africa. In fact, the orphan window at the bottom, the very bottom of the world that I speak of, where we have the byproduct of family breakdown and spiritual fatherlessness, those children are in a holy place in the heavens. It is a spirit, the orphan window is a spiritual place in the heavens, and it has many doorways in. Port Haiti is a doorway in. Many places in Africa is a doorway in. Dallas, Texas is a doorway in. And the children that are trapped inside of there who have been set apart to unleash Jesus in us in a powerful way, they're right here. In the state of Texas, there are 28,232 children as of the end of May, last count, that have been removed from homes and are in child welfare. 2,658 of those 28,000 children are immediately adoptable. Put that into perspective, there are far more churches than children. And it's not just even Texas. If we got into a car and drove 10 minutes anywhere from here, all around, 10 minutes out, there are 3,629 of the Lord's anointed waiting to be touched. 344 of them are waiting to be brought into the Father's house. It's right here under our noses. The Lord's anointed are right here. They're in Haiti too. But I'm here to tell you that if the bride of Christ awakened in the orphan awakening, and if leaders who are insurrectionists within the complacency of the fear that has the church trapped had the spiritual eyes to see the orphan as the anointed, just like Jesus who came over the brow of the hill and ran through all of the fear and ran to go embrace that child and then another did and another did and another did and we did it right here and we brought them back into this family. 
not just the family of Life Point, but the family of the local church all over this city and all over this nation and all over this world. I'll make the case that since the stoning of Stephen, the Lord has prepared his bride for such a time as this. There are billions of rooms in the Father's house. My home is not my home. Your home is not your home. You don't own it. God Almighty does, and it's a room in the Father's house. This room is a living room in the Father's house. Life Point Church doesn't own it. My home church is a gathering room in the Father's house. And for 2,000 years, the Lord has created rooms, all billions of rooms all over the world, and this is a season to go out and get the anointed and bring them in to the Father's house. John 14, 2 is a promise, not just for eternity, but it's a promise for right now. There are many rooms in the Father's house, and there is room, and as a body, we are supernaturally equipped to bring the Lord's anointed into our family. Because we have tools like grace. We know that the Lord adopted us, and he did it even though we pushed him away and pushed him away and pushed him away. We have community that is a supernatural community because the deal is when we go out to get the Lord's anointed and we bring the Lord's anointed in, stuff happens and you will suffer. This is not a feel-good message. This purification hurts. The number one reason why foster and adoptive families, whether it's here or it's at Lavo's Church in Haiti, the number one reason why mamas in Haiti fail and suffer in a a foster family or an adoptive family that goes out to get the Lord's anointed to bring them in, why they suffer so much is isolation. And we we shouldn't have that problem. We've been called to live in community in a supernatural way. Ours is a ministry of engrafting. It's who we are. Orphan care is not something we do. Orphan care is who God is. We just worship in music to say, God, I'm just going to worship you for who you are. Who is he? He's a good, good father who has an adopting Abba Abba, Abba heart. He is your father and my father. And so in an adopting church movement, he's going to bring people in. And that is what we are called to do. You know, I just wanted to play a a brief video, and as I do, I want to um, I want you to hear. If we're inside of a wall of safety, and security, and comfort, and we are. Trust me, this is not a judgment on you any more than me. This is a fact. We are living, even relative to this city, when we see things happening, we are living in a very prosperous, comfortable place. And we like our security and comfort. We do. That's normal. And so, as I show this, I'm going to assume, let's assume that we are actually in a place and there is a wall around us. The wall is actually not meant to be there. Jesus didn't want there to be this wall. He never preached it. He never asked for it. And I want you to assume that this wall is a wall of fear. We have been sold a bill of goods that it's actually a wall of safety, that it's meant to keep our security in, and it's meant to keep all the bad stuff out, and so we stay secure. 
as a body and as a people, but I'm going to say that's not from Jesus. This is actually a wall of fear, and I want to assume that Jesus Christ himself is outside of the wall, and he is in the foster care system, and he is in a hurting mother's house. He is in, a, a, he is in the house of the fallen police officers, and he is a comforter, and he's out there. And he is in the house of the man in Louisiana who was murdered, and he's, he's in all of those places, but he's out in the wall, and he's out there with the 28,000 kids in the Child Protective Services in Texas. And I want to say that we're separated by a fear wall. I want to show you a video because Jesus is crying and screaming outside of that wall a message to us that is meant to defibrillate our heart and take down the wall. As you watch the video, I'm, I'm just saying I want you to focus on the child. There's going to be a bunch of things that could otherwise distract you in the video. In fact, it could distract you to get into a place of judgment. It could distract you to get into a place of justification. I'm asking you to just zero in on the child in the video, and I'm asking you to understand that this child could be the child of one of the, one of the men who was shot by a police officer. This child could be a child, could easily be a child of one of the police officers who was shot. This child could easily be the child of one of the mothers in Hinch who had to give up her own children because of the suffering that she's in. This child could be your child. This child could be mine. I want you to hear the cry of Jesus outside our fear walls. The individuals involved in his murder took away a man with children who depended upon their daddy on a daily basis. <laughs> My son is not the youngest. He is the oldest of his siblings. He is 15 years old. <laughs> he had to watch this as this was put all over the outlet. And everything that was possible to be shown I don't know Alton Sterling's life story. I've read some things. I don't know. I never met him. I never met these officers. I don't know their full stories. I don't know, I don't know everything. I've never met their wives. I never met their children. Sometimes when we think of the orphan, we think of a cute little baby. Often it's a cute little white baby. Those are the ones in the country, eight out of ten orphans that are in foster care that are adopted get adopted within a year or they get reunified with family. And most of those that are eight are little babies, little children, and most often it's a white child. This is a 15-year-old boy, and I don't know what the full story of his dad is, and I don't even know the full story of what happened in the video that we see. I don't know whether he's... His, Alton Smith was married to his mother or not. I don't know all of those things. I know this. That boy was screaming, I want daddy. I want my daddy. I want my daddy. 
And all over this world, all over this city, the Lord's anointed are outside of the fear wall and they are screaming, I want my daddy. It's coming from their very soul. And let me tell you, no matter what we did to screw things up, that young man and that, who is representative of the orphan everywhere never asked for this. And he may not look like what we think. Just want to leave you with this. If in the state of Texas, the bride of Christ, across denominational lines, across racial lines, across socioeconomic lines, if the local churches in this state mobilized and moved and they just obliterated that wall and they ran out to the child, to the children that are out there crying, I want my daddy. If we as a community, local church by local church, rushed the wall, rushed up there, obliterated and got them, and we shifted child welfare in this city, in this state, in the United States of America, from state-centered to church-centered, if we cleaned out the foster care system, and if we went to mothers like this, with a desire to know who she is and to help her keep her children and to, to get in, to know who she is as a woman and as a man. And if churches in the city were going to officers, and I'm here to tell you, it is happening. If we rushed out to know one another and we didn't settle for all of this transactional garbage that we call Christ, but we went for the relational goods that we put our flesh in the mess of other people and we had a bringing in, and we became an adopting church. Do you think that people in this nation, in this world, would see Jesus for who he is? Think about this state, 28,000 kids. The church can breathe on the anointed and bring them in and we would see a purification and a reconciliation of people. Because you know, when you touch the Lord's anointed, they will lead you. They will give you further instruction. I know, I have been there, and all of a sudden, the people who I used to have judgment for, and who I used to look at on TV screens and think were so off base, whether they are white or black, the Lord's anointed took me, little children took me, and they began to lead me. And they led me into relationships so that I had relationships with people who are very different than me. And they weren't my project to be fixed. They were my people to love. My small group became, my small group became people who were meth addicts and struggling with it. And children who were orphaned and a grandmother who's trying to take care of her eight-year-old outside the wall. And man, to bring them inside of the wall. I remember the first day of going outside to the Lord's anointed and picking a bunch of them up, people that were in my small group and relationship and bringing them in to the walls of my home church. And I was so proud of my church because people came in and they smelled like, man, they smelled terrible. Things were brutal, but they came in and they were welcomed inside of the Father's house. And stuff has happened. It doesn't mean that poverty has ended. It doesn't mean that everybody has become a doctor and a lawyer. It, God's idea of the rich-poor exchange, God's idea of spiritual revival, isn't just that somehow we'll have a giant global middle class by fiat of the government. 
His notion of rich-poor exchange is that there will be in the collision a spiritual revival of the heart that will have profound eternal ripple effects and that it is the anointed who will be sent into the church that we may be unified with one another. Down at the bottom of the world in the orphan window, I am here to tell you, I have Baptist churches that are working hand-in-hand with Presbyterian churches. And I have non-denominational churches who are working with Anglican churches. And I have Anglican churches who are working with Southern Baptist churches. All of it, all around the Lord's anointed, and all without sacrificing the wholeness of the Word of God. In fact, everybody's in such a feverish mess because we've taken in the normal wreckers who have been like the launderer's soap who's purifying all of us, we don't have time to argue. We have black churches, white churches, poor churches, rich churches, Indian churches, African churches, American churches, all one coming into this, rushing into the bottom of the world, bringing in the Lord's anointed, and I'm telling you, revival's happening. Be encouraged. Don't look up at CNN and buy into all this negative hype. That is from the devil. In this nation, we have a deep wound. Let's be honest with one another. We have a deep wound in this nation that has been here from the time that we took people and families and we ripped them out and we brought them here. We can't ignore that. And the Civil Rights Act of 1967 doesn't just make it all better. And I'm not saying it's your fault or my fault, but there's a wound that intellect can't solve. It means we got to bleed together and be with one another, and there is a healing that God is doing right now. He is using the orphan to unify us in spiritual ways if we let him, and the devil is out on the edges. The devil was up in a parking lot with a sniper rifle trying to take out this movement of God. And the devil sometimes is pulling black men out of police, out of cars, and he's wrestling them down and killing them on the edges. And the devil was trying to get the edges to fight, to fight. And the media is sitting here fanning that flame. And let me tell you, it's all from Satan because God is moving for spiritual revival right here through the bride of Christ because we see the Lord's anointed and God is saying to us right now, hear him. He is saying, go out to the cry of the anointed and bring them in, and it will cost you. You will pay a dear price. Your comfort will be gone. You will bleed. You may be broke. You may be broke financially. You may get broken spiritually. You may get broken emotionally. But bring them in because I will heal you. you if you want to know me and experience me, then you need to have felt desperation. Come down to a low place. Come down and touch the hem of my garment. Come down. That is what's happening, and the devil is on the edge right now. It's not Black Lives Matter. Don't blame this. Don't blame that. And it's not the Ku Klux Klan. Don't blame that. It's not. We are a people, and God is doing something we can't fully understand. Let's be about it. Let's, yeah, let's love one another, but let's reject the voices of hate. And I'm here to tell you, most people are rejecting the voices of hate. We live in a world that wants to foment negativity, wants to foment all of this so that we would turn the fire on one another. I say no. No. 
But there's a specific marching order that we have. And if you have ears to hear, if this is penetrating, and if this is not from you, Lord, then I say just let it scatter. Let the wind blow it away. But, Lord, if this is from you, let this be a seed that falls on your heart and it grows. The Lord's anointed is the orphan child. He's come up over the brow of the hill. Run to him. Run to her. Run to the child. In the video, run to the child. Don't get caught up in, the, in a man who, ha, who, in what people are wearing. Don't get caught up in all the pain that you could easily pick apart. Run to the anointed child with your flesh, with your feet. Don't walk. Run. Don't wait till tomorrow. Do it. If there's a movement in you, do it. Err on the side of the Lord's anointed. You know, it says in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, Jesus says, I'll spit the lukewarm right out of my mouth. I know your deeds. And he says, you think you're rich. You think you've got it all going on, that you don't need a thing. And he says, no, 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 that's all an illusion. You're poor, you're pitiful, you're an orphan whom I've adopted. You need me, and I can help you. And he says this, those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Church, is it possible that right now Jesus Christ is standing at the door of your heart in the form of an abused, neglected, dirty, hurting, abandoned child knocking. If so, open the door. Let's pray. God, help us. Help us get low and help us see your face. I pray, Lord, right now, in this congregation right now, you would put specific kids to our minds for people who have seen a hurting child. I don't care if it's in Haiti. I don't care if it's in their family. I don't care if it's in their neighborhood, their community. If you'll just bring a child's face to our minds. Father, let us hear the knock and let us have the courage to open. I claim in the name of Jesus a power and authority that overcomes the fear that the devil wants to use that we would keep the door closed. And I say no. I say no in the name of Jesus to those who want to spew the hate. I say no in the name of Jesus who want to stop and thwart because they want to thwart this movement of you, Lord. And Satan, I say no to you. You can't stop this. You see it, and you're the one who is afraid. You are the one who should be afraid. 
And I pray for this congregation that there would be a flood of living water that obliterates the wall of fear and there would be a great bringing in that this church would experience its finest hour as an adopting church. And I pray it would spread like wildfire. So Lord, bring revival and reconciliation, full reconciliation of people through relationships. We need you. You're the only one who can do this. So we're reaching for the hem of your garment. Jesus, I thank you that our names have been written in the book of life. And I pray, Lord, that we would have courage in that knowledge right now. Amen.